All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Dr. Carlos Biero, the first BJJ physio and licensed physical therapist and one of my favourite guests. Dr. Biero is the executive director, head sports pain expert and founder at Spark Physiotherapy. He's a licensed doctor of physical therapy, a certified strength and conditioning specialist and a trigger point dry needling expert. He also holds a master's degree in clinical exercise physiology. His combination of hard skills and an ever-present focus on the client experience is what makes him an industry leader in all things performance physical therapy. He's most recognised for his work with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and mixed martial arts players as well as collegiate and professional rotary power athletes. His personal experiences as a collegiate baseball player and as a competitive Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner make him a sought-after resource on the field and in the training room. He remains active in several sports and is an avid BJJ enthusiast, motorcycle rider and adventure race runner. Treating sports pain is my skill, he says, but returning people to play is my passion. And now, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for coming back on. You're a pleasure to have back on, one of my favourite guests. Um, I love your material, love your content, happily promoting you know, your BJJ physio site, etc. But for those little people under a rock who've never heard of your name and few won't have how would you describe who the legendary dr b is <laughs> well uh I, first i'd say far from a legend um i think there's a lot more to be done uh on uh, in our little company uh and some of the places that we're trying to be as, uh, of assistance we've got a long way to go but um you know i've been doing this uh human performance thing since 1998 um, I have been on all levels of uh, strength and conditioning, physical therapy, physical medicine, uh, every sort of setting you can be involved in, and working with you know a vast variety of uh, different movers, uh, from what I call movement midgets all the way to the professional, like their body is their uh, is their employment. Um, and so that's a terrific uh, and fun way to spend your day to day. Uh, it just um, it's. Uh, a moving target when you start to deal with how you motivate certain groups of folks and others. But I think it's part of the excitement of my day to day and also the excitement about um, how I train other up and coming therapists, physical medicine pros to behave in their day to day. So it's really a fun adventure. Because I love how you're kind of changing the the standard modality. You know, you see everybody kind of going, I've got a bit of a sore X, I'll go to the doctor. And, you know, you see that in like the insurance thing of, We'll pay you to get surgery. We'll pay you to get medication, but we won't pay you to go to a physio. It's really difficult in Britain, for example. 
how would you change that? Why do you think that has been the standard protocol of tablets rather than actual fixes? Yeah, um, I think uh, people prefer ease over effort. Um, that's very standard. I mean, who wouldn't rather do something easily with less uh, pain, less uh, frustration, and you know, just be better? Uh, but unfortunately, that is not how the human body really works. Uh, it takes effort. It takes load. It takes stimulus to get the result you want. And um, with regard to uh, you know, third-party reimbursers not paying for preventative medicine, I mean, the evidence is out there, and it's it's easily obtainable by anyone who seeks to get this kind of information. Prevention is just a lot less costly than a lot of these other um, major surgeries, major procedures, multiple visits to physicians um, that happen retroactively. You know, once we have a disease process going on, more of the world, more of our physical medicine brothers and sisters are being uh, proactive about promoting movement as medicine. And that's something that we have done since the very beginning. Uh, and hopefully, Uh, that catches on. It's really the only way that I think uh, showing people that the status quo is not acceptable anymore. And being uh, someone who sort of leads by example is, I think, the only way I know um, to help promote that kind of mindset, that movement is medicine and that you can train or move or do that fun activity uh, in a way um, uh, that that it can be there for the rest of your life. And that's the big important piece of this all because you were the sort of first person who had seen taking proper rehab and recovery and just being a healthier person to jiu-jitsu everybody else was like techniques and you know how to get ready for competitions you took the whole approach of just being a better healthier person to be better at your sport and then as you dive into your website you see the level you go into i mean it's phenomenal the sports the the technique the you know you just cover everything and anything but do you think that's why you've been so successful you've had this philosophy of all the way all the way well approach this you cover everything and not just ah slap a nice pack on it you'll be fine yeah i actually believe that's the big piece of this is um that all the way well approach uh, the the status quo the the services that are being provided out there um in i would say the majority of physio settings whether it's in in the us or abroad um is one of attempting to keep up with the volume uh of people who need care and and that is an issue there are not enough i believe uh, uh, next-gen PTs is kind of what we call them, is people who can encompass the world of strength and conditioning right alongside the world of prehab, rehab, post-operative care. Um, and then when you can do that in a way um, where you explain some of the difficult concepts, but in a way that's easy to understand, people really internalize that. And not only does it make them better, but it also becomes a very cool little thing that I see when patients then reach back out to me and say things like, hey, I have a friend and that friend has pain in this area. And I asked them these four questions that I know you would ask me. And I think they'd be a good candidate for what you do. I'm like, oh, you know, that's more rewarding than that person just getting better because I've also taught that person how to help others in their health seeking community, whether they get in touch with me or not. I don't really care. I just want them to get better. And, but just empowering people to do that and be on the lookout for ways they can help themselves and the ways that they can help their, those around them, man, that's freaking rewarding. That is the approach that's, uh, it's different. It takes more effort. 
Uh, it's just harder to do, but I think it's the best way to do all this, and that's why I was put here. <laughs> because you seem to have this like mission to be Mister Health, Mister Fix It, Mister Rehab. I'm trying to think of a less <laughs> a name that doesn't sound like you've come off Reservoir Dogs, but you know sure. how how do you think the like? Do you think this was a calling that you've always had, and because you've worked this from you know like your little side hustle into this global empire you're going to have soon. Oh, my. <laughs> that like the, is amazing dark, to hear. <laughs> the Darth Vader rehab, I think. That, you know, you're yeah. getting there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually why I call myself, like, the Jedi, right? It, it's a joke name. It's purely uh, tongue-in-cheek. It's about being playful. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off on many tangents here, so you're going to have to keep me on track. You're <laughs> uh, uh, screwed know, in that case. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, global empire, that's one way to say it. I, I have not thought about us in that way at all. But I, I do want to create a movement. You know, I want to create uh, – I had the uh, the chairperson of uh, one of the local physical therapy programs in my office a couple weeks ago. And th these are people that I work with uh, – that I try to work with closely because I believe that the change we need to see is at, is at the grassroots level. It's when people go in – to school, whether they're going to be an orthopedic surgeon, a chiropractor, a physical therapist, and I don't care what you want to do. If you go in with the motive of really just trying to help, truly help the most people you can possibly help, a lot of this other stuff takes care of itself. Because what happens is you're learning the ways that care is offered and you start to go like, ah, I wouldn't do it like that because that doesn't seem to be the highest quality way. That seems like a volume way to treat, or that seems yeah. like a what's the least that what's the quickest thing I can do and kind of you know move you along but is that quickest thing the thing that that person needs when you really start advocating for your own field and your own disciplines hey you could be a chemist and still advocate to be you know a major player in the chemistry world but you know when you have a passion like that it should come out it should come out in the things that you say the way that you write the interactions you uh you have and then ultimately the people who seek you out like yourself um who want to have conversations about this like how do we move this ball you know further downfield um and so that's where my passion comes from and some of it's inbred uh but even in that conversation with the chairperson of that physical therapy department i, I couldn't help but say like i just want people to be goo goo over the work we do and right now, I don't think that is the way. And that really hurts me uh, on a personally professional level, that people should have a higher standard in how we deliver this kind of care and, and what people expect their care to be when they go in. If we can change that, we will change everything. Because I think that's what surprises a lot of people. You know, they come on your site and they go, oh, he's got the Instagram. All right. So he's asking for questions. And the, the level of care, passion, humor, just the individuality you put into these things and then you come onto your site and you're like you see you working with like players from grassroots to professional to everything and in between i'm sure you could treat fat has-beens like myself you know everything <laughs> and everything but do you see common because like we all see these films where the kid comes out they're multi-talented they're gonna be the best thing ever and by the end of the film, you know, they like the pitcher's got the tight shoulder because he's never recovered. He's played too many games. You know, they take advantage of their natural ability. Rather, you know, they cash checks now rather than thinking about what they're going to be later on. It's this where we go wrong with, like, you know, younger players. We don't give them a plan to keep themselves healthy. 
we just want them to be the best now and forget about the interest of stress and accumulation on the body. Yeah, that's a terrific point. Um, a lot of the youth sports programming that we are developing nowadays is not so much, I mean, of course, it, it's about making people stronger and faster and more resilient and more explosive. That That's easy stuff. That really is very simple. The hard part is creating an environment where that young athlete now understands that this is what I have to do. This is how I develop good habits. This is how I take care of my body. This is how I take care of my joints. My joints are my tools. If I don't care, if I don't care for my tools, then I cannot use them in the soul-filling, scholarship-granting, life-changing, contract-getting way. It's just, I mean, these are steps. That stuff happens to a very, very small minority of the kinds of people we look up to in sports. But you can use sport, you can use fitness, you can use these kinds of activities to just promote healthy living. But that begins early with establishing a habit, a habit of taking care of your rest, taking care of your body, taking care of your nutrition. That all goes together to, to develop um, a, a, a holistic approach to just moving around. Holistic with a W, whole, full thing. Because when I think back to like physical education in school, you know, it was like, we're going to work on badminton. You're going to do a bit of basketball. There was a tiny bit of lip service paid to nutrition, if anything. A tiny bit about stretching, static stretching. That'll cover you for the rest of your life. And yeah. You see that in every sport, people who, no matter where you play, what you're playing, what level, I was told to pull this in, 10 seconds, start stretching. That's my entire body warmed up. You know, it's fine. I don't need to worry about it. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you learn to take this level of understanding when you were having the side hustle, when you're building this business and, you know, you were looking going, but I could probably get more clients if I just put out a DVD on some basic stretching because that's the accepted <laughs> thing. How do you start? making clients understand it's it's better to understand recovery it's better to understand our body and to take an interest in it yeah uh you know it starts from the very beginning um our practice the way i work the way uh, my team works and our network of folks around the around the world um is that we listen first um people especially people in pain or people in fear need to know what that their concerns are being uh, fully digested. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the world of information is so vast. Uh, I hope we get to talk a little bit here about like how eventually, you know, you, you vet these kinds of professionals. Um, but there are lots of pros, pros online who disseminate information. They want to sell their DVD, their newsletter, whatever it is. And many times that's useful. Um, but when you start, to drill down on whether or not this kind of advice is useful for me, that's where a lot of this stuff falls short. Um, I tell everyone I ever see, if you ever hear the word never, always, just forget about it. it none, nothing is always or never. Nothing. It, everything always depends. Well, isn't it the what Sith? Age are you? Isn't it the Sith who talk in absolutes? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And I'm a Jedi. <laughs> Because it always depends. I mean, you know, everyone is um, going to come. Everyone's going to approach you from a different place in their life, having been on a different journey. You have to take all those little bits into account. And when I'm listening to someone talk, I'm constantly um, whittling down their story to sort of the actionable parts. And you know, someone says, I have back pain. Okay, well, tell me. Go ahead. Start from the beginning. When did this begin? And I go, all right, I'm starting to piece together the puzzle as to like, well, what thing could be the problem? But then also – 
what's stopping you from getting to overcoming that barrier? And then we're going to do that part together. And when you make that a, a learning experience and not a do this and then this will happen and then you'll be better, that doesn't, that doesn't help a lot of people to just be told what to do. You start with why. Why are we doing this? Um, one of my favorite books, by the way. Uh, and that really uh, builds buy-in, builds therapeutic alliance, and just makes you a resource that people depend on. And that is something we have built here for sure. I mean, if we do nothing else right at all, uh, we are a trusted resource uh, across several really fun groups of people who want to stay moving. And that's something I'm very proud of. Because when you look at this, like affiliate network you're building, you know, it's a wide range of amazing places and they're seeing the amazing work you're doing. You know, they, they're showing you like that they're, everybody's putting their trust in you because they're seeing the, the level of quality of service you're giving. But do you think that's something like every single person needs to be kind of understood, every player, no matter what sport, there needs to be... um a split between training versus rehab versus recovery. We need to actually create a whole realistic body adaptation, you know, like a fix of not just building the ability of a player, but ability to recover as a player. Yeah, uh, that is part of um, the the big plan. I mean, anyone who wants to do any activity, let's, we're going to use jujitsu as, as an example. If you want to do this for a long time, Man, you need to build some resilience. You need to build some versatility. You need to understand that, uh, well, we all understand if we train long enough, things hurt and you want to keep yeah. training, right? So if every time something niggled you for a little longer than a day, you stopped training, no one would continue training. You have to fight through that stuff. Um, and just knowing, or in this case, having someone who can be a resource to tell you, all right, you can continue to train, just do these things. Don't do these things. And during the course of that time, we can start switching on those activities, those ranges of motion that we were trying to protect. That should be common knowledge. And if it's not common knowledge, then what should be common knowledge is that there are people out there who can help you. And you don't have to discover this on your own. You just got to know who to ask why you're asking that person versus another. And um, if they're, if the full story is on the table, then the most help can be given. Um, you know, it's, it's when I write a white paper, I hope that white paper hits somebody, right? Because it probably will, but I can't say it would be generalizable to everyone that hits that little piece of, you know, that little piece of advice. So say if you had a player in rural, I don't know, Tennessee, I don't even know that, so rural, mm -hmm. you know, um, or you had somebody in Russia and they were lo looking at your Instagram thinking, this is amazing, I want to find somebody. How do we find a, a physio that works? Do you know, is it like you're saying, just somebody that doesn't come and immediately go, okay, this is my ABCD plan. They actually stop and go, show me you working out, show me you're some game footage, so they can actually start reverse engineering from there and going, okay, I can see that area being like you know the rotational of the trunk is being mm -hmm. weaker than it could is it a case of cookie cutter versus actually giving a damn about the player do you think that makes a good physio to take yeah i would agree to that um the advice that i give most people when they're asking me how do i know how do i know this person is going to be on my team how do i know this person uh has my best interest in mind is i say interview them when i say that people they look at me so strangely that the typical way we consume medicine is, all right, I have a doctor. Why do you have a doctor? Well, my insurance says this is my doctor. I was like, okay, there you go. First mistake. You should interview your physician like, you, like you're interviewing someone to work for you because that is what your physician is doing. 
They work for you. So they have to be the right fit. They have to understand where you are coming from. And you know, you should trust them uh, based on what they're telling you. Uh, if they ask you the questions, hey, listen, show me when, tell me how. You got a video, I want to see it. If you're a physician, if you're a therapist, if you're a chiropractor, if your trainer is doing that, you are, you've got a winner. I promise you, you have a winner. But I would be, I would bet my license if you interviewed a hundred docs in that manner, in the way that you were trying to vet them for your care, 80 wouldn't even begin with those questions. And the 20 that did would be cut off for time at some point, even if they really wanted to. And so the settings many times and are in, in the U.S., our structure of um, kind of retroactive care and volume-based care does not lend itself to a, a high-quality experience for the, the health-seeking uh, person. But um, there are still people out there like myself, and I can name a half dozen others throughout this country and you know over in Europe and in Australia who do it just the way we do, that we're connected to. So that's what we try and do is, all right, well, where are you? You know, you're in Melbourne. All right, I got two names in Melbourne. These are people who train. These are people who are licensed, trusted professionals. Start there. But if, but if you go and the guy, you know, smells funny, showed up late, didn't answer your text, and rushed through it, all right, not a good fit. That's okay. Someone out there is a good fit for you. Just keep looking. And if we can be helpful in that by either exposing you to our new network of providers or just trying to find them for you, we'll do that too. I think that's the problem is like it's the law, was it the law of authority they call it like because they've got some letters after their name people assume oh that's it i've got to stay with that person it's like you're saying sure. they don't realize we can pick and choose like you know why why would you pick why would you not treat a doctor the same way as you would treat your plumber or a joiner who's working on your house mm-hmm. i totally agree and i love how like if you go on a deep dive in your website it is bloody difficult to come off it because there is such a level of depth of quality of even quantity of analysis and explanation just about how you work with a client never mind like what you're actually doing your instagram your instagram lives and things like that do you think that's a thing of like a player will not understand it's not just tight shoulder that's a break in an energy chain that stops them throwing a ball harder, stops them kicking a ball further, running harder. We we don't understand how an immobile or a, a sore joint or a, a muscle not working as effectively is actually stopping us being the best performer we can be. Yeah, we see that quite a bit, and that all begins with education. Um, and partly there's a little bit of art and magic in this. Um, I mean, we have a lot of tools at our disposal, a lot of manual techniques and dry needling and mobilization and fun exercises, and just generally our understanding of the kinetic chain. Um, but when you tell someone, Hey, your shoulder pain is being caused because you have no rotation to your ipsilateral dominant side. So your left QL is the problem. And they go like, what now? In short, you're leaking energy out of your back and your shoulders making up the difference. What do you mean? Let me show you. And once you show them, you do a drill to prime the quadratus lumborum. You do a drill to prime up their hip rotators. And they say, okay, now throw. And they go, well, that, that felt, that didn't, didn't, wasn't non-painful, but that felt different. How come? Well, all I did was make it so that we could focus a little more energy on the place that you were most efficient. And then the thing that was making up the difference for you didn't have to do as much. Now, what would happen if I flipped the switch permanently and made that part of your back move like that? forever. What would you suppose would happen? Well, I'd probably have less shoulder pain. Ah, you said it, not me. And you're right. 
and it's exactly the same reason you said, Ian, is we have to play around with these kinetic chains. People, elbows and shoulders don't walk into our clinic. People who have painful parts that are stopping them from doing a soul-filling thing walk into our clinic. We got to figure out how to get them back to the soul-filling activity in whatever way we can. And usually it starts with education, telling them why we do things, showing them a fun little thing. And man, that's, that trust train is already gone. I mean, we're really rolling at that point. And do you think it's like, do you see a lot of people coming in and going, I can't squat because of my knees? But it's actually more like they've got tight hips or, you know, like you see these things of saying, I've got a sore back and it's because of this. And you go, well, it's actually because this muscle then feeds into that, which, you know, is it actually more annoying because a, a, a client <laughs> comes with an idea in their head that it's this, where it's actually that and they're actually strengthening the wrong set of muscles because people believe what they've been told? Yeah. Uh, the, the word I would use... Um isn't annoying, but it's frustrating <laughs> Yeah, because I, I just, I, I laugh inside every time, every time someone kind of gives me the same story, like you just mentioned it, you ripped it off perfectly. So either it's been you or it's been someone you've heard a buddy talk about that way. I've, but all um, the time, it's always the knees. It's never anything yeah. else. It's uh, yeah. The best example is always, uh, I can, can't touch my toes. It's one of the, the very basic movement screens we have everyone do when they come in for an evaluation. It's all right, let's, uh, let's uh, reach back or then touch your toes. And before they even start every, to a man, everyone says, oh, I can't touch my toes. I've not touched my toes in 15 years. And I'll say, okay, well, why? And I don't, I don't ask them to do it at that point. I said, well, why do you think you can't touch your toes? Well, my hamstrings are so tight. Okay, cool. Let's continue. So we go down and then they get halfway to their shin. And I said, oh, yeah, that's definitely evidence that in a standing position, you do not possess the ability to forward flex enough to get your fingertips to your feet. But I did not say you can't touch your toes. I just said the specifics of what I just observed. When we don't know why you can't touch your toes yet. I just met you and all I know is you can't get your hands to the ground in this thing. Let's try this. What if you lied on your back? Well, okay, try that. Can you pick your foot up? And then they pick your foot up. Can you touch your toes now? And they reach up and boop, they touch your toes. Or I say, sit up. Sit up with your legs straight and see if you can touch your toes. And suddenly they can touch your toes. Or they can get closer. Or I go, all right, how about if I just move your leg? Oh, I can move your leg enough for you to touch your toes. Why can't you move your leg enough for you to touch your toes? Or why can't you move your body around your leg enough for you to touch your toes? So now we're starting to pick apart. Is this a stability problem? Is this a lumbar mobility problem? Is this a hip mobility problem? Is this actually something in the back of your leg, like your hamstrings? I don't know, but we're going to tick away and, and yes and no every one of those variables until we say, this is the reason you can't touch your toes. And it's not because your hamstrings are tight. It's because you lack trunk stability. You lack pelvic floor mobility. You lack posterior tilt. Those are all fine reasons. None of them is a judgment against someone. I'm not saying, oh, look at how terrible you are because you have no posterior tilt. It's like, there might be five reasons why you don't have that. And one, your parents might not have any posterior tilt. You might have had surgery at some point we didn't talk about. Oh, I didn't know it was relevant. That was my neck. Listen, I asked, what surgery did you get? I didn't say what part because I will tell you if it's relevant, and you just have already used a couple words like fascial chains and kinetic chain. That all goes together. You, you rob movement from someplace. Someplace else has got to take over a load, and that load is a burden. It's not like, great, my lumbar spine's got to do more. It's, oh, man, those muscles have to control more motion or else I'm not going to move. So we take all those variables into account, and when you do it out in the open like this, 
I'm not hiding behind a curtain like this magical thing, like watch what I'm going to do to you. You're going to be able to touch your toes. When, I, when you let people in on this clinical decision-making process, they learn a lot. They love that process. And our students get so much more out of it. Our students, when they become therapists, understand the power of that, you know, spoon feeding this very difficult pain science, very difficult movement science stuff in a way that people can just absorb it, own that knowledge, and then carry it on. Man, those folks do great. It's, a, it's one of the most fun things we do. So no, I don't get annoyed. It's just frustrated that the same questions come in because that tells me the right information is not getting to the people who need it. That's yeah. frustrating. I think it's that level of education into it. It's like you're breaking down that wall, that myths of like static stretching is fine and you just need to do X and Y, you know, and it's, and you, you've been the first person who I've seen who really gets into this deep down. I mean, I can still remember having a PT in the gym and I thought, oh, I'll sign up for him. He's a good mate. And he was the first person who'd ever got me to do the leg press, for example, but with one leg. First person that ever got me to squat down one, you know, like single leg, uh, and I was like, "What? I can squat. I'm a big bastard. I can do this. I can do that." And he was like, "Yeah, but do it one leg." And suddenly, you see your body goes, "Whoa!" Because the body's yeah. an amazing thing. It will find alternative ways to do things. Like you were saying, you know, it takes. If you can't do it from here, I'll take a bit from here to try and mm -hmm. help that. But, you mm -hmm. know, but why do we take it as an insult when you say you haven't got like rotational power? You haven't got this. Rather than going, oh, okay, how do I fix that? How you know? Why do yeah. we see it's a bad thing? It's not part of our story. It's not a dodgy knee that we can tell the boys why we can't play football five aside. How do we just get into them that you know this is how your body's adapting to it, but this is how we're going to fix it. I know yeah, that's probably about fifty questions, but yeah, yeah, that's good. My work is always to be um, just as as judgmentally free or as non-judgmental as I can be like um, that's in how I I mean I, I literally use my voice for that I use how I stand around people I don't you know I don't cross my arms a lot there's little soft things like that and just dealing interpersonally with people that makes them comfortable around the idea that I'm not trying to bludgeon you over here I, I just want the information I'm going to pull the information out in a way that makes sense from a medical standpoint but I'm also going to try and do it um, in a way that is a teaching way. You know, I want you to learn here. And when you begin like that, people don't feel judged. Um, you know, it's rare, but it can happen where sometimes that's what somebody wants. I mean, if I have a young stud, you know, 17-year-old lacrosse player, and he's giving me a bunch of business about how good he is and this and that, I say, okay, cool, squat. And I show he shows me an overhead squat and his tips all the way forward. He's way up on his toes. I'm like, your squat is shit. And he can laugh at it because... He's king crap lacrosse guy, right? So he's never been told he can't squat. It's like, well, I'm telling you, you can't squat. And let me show you. A, hey, uh, come here, 15-year-old soccer girl. Show me an overhead squat. Show this fool what an overhead squat is supposed to look like. Beep, As you boom, boom, like perfect. And I'm like, you can't do that. I mean, you're the one who's going to play Division One lacrosse at Syracuse next year. She's going to play nothing, Division nothing, nowhere. So the fact that she's doing this means you can do it. But come on, man up. Let's get the pieces together that can do that. And so I'll throw the snark at folks, but I just don't judge people. I, you know, you tell me, oh, I eat, I eat crappy. Like, hey, food's beautiful. I love it. I love ice cream and cheese and salami and wine and beer and scotch. I love all of it. I just know as a movement professional and somewhat of a, you know, scientist, I guess you say, um, 
there are consequences. Every one of us know that there are consequences to the things we do, the stuff we put in our body. If you are good with the consequences, go for it. You know, I have some clients who will drain just so they can continue to eat chili and chicken wings. Great. I'm not going to judge you for that. You know your goal. You know that that's – but that person is not going to ask me why they can't see their abs. If they did, I will go right back to them. You're kind of the one that stated that the goal was just so that you could eat and drink and do whatever you wanted, which I'm yeah. okay with. You know, So it's another one of those places I just don't – I don't insert judgment because it's, it's just not healthy. Um, you know, we're adults and when we can work with young folks, I mean, that's a different place. I'll, I'll say, Hey, these are the habits I want you to develop, but it's going to be on you. There are a lot of kids who come to me, your age, your ability level, your sport, who, who flame out well, because they thought today's sleep over drug fest, you know, as a senior was more important than getting sleep for the tournament this weekend. That's okay. That, but that's a decision you made, and you have to be okay with the consequence. And that might be, oh, I played like crap, I didn't get the look I wanted, and the coach didn't ask me any questions. Yep, that's I could have told you that would be the consequence. Hmm. But if you're fine with it, we're going to move forward. Don't worry. <laughs> so is that why you put such a sort of emphasis on like a, a 3D model of testing rather than – because, I mean, I was – you know, if I um, say I power lifted, I bench, squatted, deadlift. But then suddenly you put a weight above your outside of those kind of three areas, and you're like, "Whoa, tough!" You know, you're not as strong as you think you are. How how do you start testing a client? Like, how what kind of areas would you want to test a client, or what to see them? You mean, and because you're not testing as to say, "Ha ha, you can't do that." You're testing as to go, "You can't do that. Let's fix it with these remedies." But yeah, how how do you start that initial analysis? like a true representation of their fitness, their overall, their holistic health. Yeah. There's two basic uh, kind of threads to that that I've always used. Um, the first one is that there's basically, there's seven movements through space that humans do, period. And every motion that we do is a combination of these seven motions. It is hinging, triple extension, which is like bending your knee, ankle, and hip at the same time. So think of a squat or a lunge. Uh, Rotation, so top down, you know, spinning, uh, horizontal pushing, horizontal pulling, vertical pushing, and vertical pulling. Now, every motion, this, 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 is some combination of all of that. We have found there's a couple screening tools that really elicit that information quick. The SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment, is something that's been created a long time ago by a terrific physical therapist named Greg Cook. Uh, shout out to Greg Cook. He's like a mentor and an amazing uh, speaker. Uh, if you're a physical therapist, you know his name. Uh, and he's developed not only the SFMA, but also the Functional Movement Screen, which is the FMS, which more folks are familiar with because it's one that's offered in a lot of gym settings. You don't have to be a... Uh, physical medicine licensed professional to do the FMS. Uh, but SFMA is one that incorporates those movements in larger chunks. Uh, so you have uh, cervical, uh, cervical mobility, shoulder mobility, trunk mobility, lower extremity mobility, and then kind of the big squat. And those movements are graded. You can do them or you can't. It hurts or it doesn't. And from there, we develop our plan. We have a movement plan. So you are most efficient in right multisegmental rotation. And right now, based on this test, it is from your right hip. Okay, noted. That's the mobility plan. And the pain plan is my shoulder hurts. Well, your shoulder hurts because you lack the ability to rotate on this part of your body. And whatever, whatever reason, your sport demands that and your shoulder's making up the difference. All right, so your pain plan, treat the shoulder. Your movement plan, treat the rotation. Go. That's what we do. And that's fast. That's quick to do because we see the same patterns. And it goes back to your thing. 
it's just frustrating. Why am I seeing the same athletes at the same age at the same time of the year coming with the same injuries? That is because they lack strength and conditioning science. They don't have the off-season programming. They're just kind of either doing nothing or just running or just throwing or just volumizing their, themselves to death. And then they wonder why they get volume-related injuries. It's like, well, because you never got strong again. You competed all season, beating up volume, beating up your joints with high impact. And then you had an eight, 10 week break and you didn't restore joint mobility, joint integrity, muscular strength. You didn't restore your flexibility. You just went right back at it. So you're going to have a, a diminishing return on your ability to play instead of the other one who said, I'm going to take those 10 weeks. I'm going to get strong. I'm going to get thick. I'm going to get mobile. I'm going to rest, and then when season comes around, I start to speed it up, and I'm going to be stronger, and I'm going to get weaker, slower than everyone else. That's the goal. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but, but it's certainly uh, a big part of our approach and how we assess motion. Because it always makes me think when I talk to you. I love how, like, I love the passion you have for it. Like, because you get so you get so into it. And I'm like, I get, I, le- <laughs> I get, I learn so much from it. I mean, I, I remember coming onto your uh, your um, website, and I was like, it was t- mentioning about preseason about how you should be doing like this before you even get into the, into the season. And then you need to be doing this as you lead up to come to it. And I was like, pre-season? I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even thought about what you're doing off the grid, off the training thing. What, how do you utilize pre-season for an athlete? You know, how do you get people to come to you and incorporate you into their plan, you know, before they get these problems? How do we break into the thing of stop coming when you're sore come at when you're i say whole you know how do we get to a point of like come to you when we're not sore and be preemptive rather than reactive yeah it it has taken a, a lot of years of that frustration of seeing the same kids same sports same body parts being hurt and before i said you know we can fix this it's going to be hard it's going to take a lot of work it's going to take new um revenue uh verticals it's going to take some bookkeeping it's going to take a different approach to what is typically offered in the sports medicine setting but we can fill that hole more adequately than let's say um you know thick neck guy in a polo which i always kind of reference i mean trainers are amazing they are the best at they're the best at it at teaching movement to normative movers but we think about it from a scientist's perspective. We, I can watch a bit of tape like you were mentioning earlier and say, okay, I know, I know exactly what's going on in that knee in that double leg takedown. I know exactly. I see where your foot is. I see where your femur is. I, see, I know the pressure that's going there. And so if that's where you had pain, I can say, okay, I, I know four things to look at right now. Let's go look at them and see, figure out which is the issue. But a trainer, while they could watch that same film and say, all right, yeah, you need more hip extension power. You did that slowly. The nitty gritty of how that the scientific approach goes into building these programs is not available. You cannot know what you cannot know what you don't know. Um, and so partly we built this stuff out of frustration. And then over the course of probably the last half a dozen years, more and more people uh, have gotten the understanding that this pre and off season work is as vitally important as any skill development they're going to do over that same time. And then they come to us for that. So we've crops of baseball, softball, tennis, soccer, uh, grappling, MMA, um, different athletes who come in just for that purpose. Like I am not hurt and I'm going to, but I got to start a camp in four weeks because I have a fight in 10 or I've got a, you know, a showcase, um, tournament in, in March. All right. Well, it's October. We need to get to work no later than November 10. All right, let's start. And we start with 
measuring everything, combine style, taking that real big 3D approach, not just can you raise your arms, but do you have the appropriate amount of power generation ability in this area for that sport? Because well, we that stuff's already known. We know how far you should be able to jump if you want to play basketball professionally. We know how high you should be able to uh, you know, jump if you want to be a gymnast. We, those numbers are out there. So we just then say, okay, well, where are you? And where do we know you should be at this stage? And let's fill that gap. Let's go right. Let's go attack it. So this isn't a problem later. And that's those are people who don't come back to treatment later. They just see us again next year, which is perfect. That's exactly what we'd rather. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy. So how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. I love that kind of approach of actually like teaching and educating rather than fixing. You know, you're actually you're educating the person rather than just going, "Here's a remedy for now. Come back. We'll you know further." Do you think that's a good thing recently that people are now understanding? We need to have like mentality training. We need to have meditation. We need to have a decent nutrition. So I need a coach for this, this, and this. Have you seen a people coming in now? Is it good that they come in and say, I think it's my L5 not turning into this? You know, we have this education. Are people beginning to understand, like you're saying, that strength and science is missing, so they start looking for it? Yeah, I I, I do. I think we're getting close. Um, the, The problem will be when those folks go to a clinic or a facility that, that is running the status quo. That therapist... Uh, that PTA, that a, whoever, um, would love nothing more than to hear that motivated, educated person who, who wants to get ahead of these things. But unfortunately, those settings are ill-equipped, maybe completely not equipped to handle folks like that, um, partly because reimbursement uh, and the process by which we get reimbursed on the insurance side requires some form of illness. The the, the documentation, uh, the first question that's asked is, what's their diagnosis? Like, well, you, I have to tell you there's a problem? I mean, how about I say they're weak as shit? Is that a problem enough? I mean, because that's a bigger problem than, oh, they blew out their MCL. It's like, well, I could have prevented that. That's so stupid. Like, that that was easy to fix. I mean, you, how do you do that in a yoga class? I mean, you were basically asking for that knee injury if yoga hurt you. Um, but we could just get ahead of it. And so if you come to me with that information, oh, I'm a pig in shit. I will, let's, let's break it down. Um, let's tell you all the ways that what you have found about your knee in this case um, is correct. Good job. You found some good information. But this part doesn't apply to you. Well, no, but I read it and it was a guy and he's got letters behind his name. Okay, tell me what the letters were. LMT. I'm like, all right, good. It's a guy with some skill, but it's a massage therapist. Did you go to a massage therapist for your cardiac appointment? Would you go to a massage therapist to, to, get a manipulation, to get a manipulation on your neck? Would you go for dry needling? To, these are not, that's not their purview. 
that person's trying to put good information out. I'm sure they're not trying to hurt you. I'm sure they're not trying to be misleading, but it's not the lay person's fault that they can't synthesize what information is from me and what information might not be. So many times that person comes in with a lot of fear. Oh, I read that I can't squat. Well, you've, you've at least shit twice yesterday. So I know you can squat some. Let's continue down that path. How? Tell me what you think you can't do and tell me what you think you need to. And let's just go from there. And then, and then when I start just pointing out, like, well, what if you sat back on your heels and, and you know, really gave your hamstrings a shot at that? What would happen? Oh, I don't know. I never, never I always just kind of lift my heels off the floor and my knees hurt. Like, okay, cool. Try it this way. Oh, that didn't hurt my knee a lot. It's like, okay, well, here's a reason that might have helped you. I don't know. It's just a guess, but... This is what we know happens when you shift your weight back there with regard to patellofemoral compression. What's that? Let's explain what patellofemoral compression is. Well, your patella is this. And so you just, I just break it down into the easiest, most easy to swallow chunks. And we just go forward. You answer that question. They have another one. You answer that one. You educate, you educate until they're like, you know what? Whatever you say. I've got all the information I need and I'm on board with the plan. And people do pretty well once they've uh, kind of established that uh, we're there to help. Cause I never really thought about that. You know, people coming in and going, I can't squat. And you go, well, have you had a shit? Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. You've squatted. I, I, you, I mean, is that the pro- uh, majority of the problems are that people come in, they don't realize, they think it's a technique issue. They think it's how I'm striking the ball, how I'm doing X, Y, Z, rather than it's the mechanics of the movement. It's their, their body. Like you're saying, we're squatting by coming forward on our toes because we've never really taught our body to use the powerful muscles by leaning back, mm-hmm. going into your heels. You know, we've used the weight to put our, un- our ankles on to fix the, the depth issue rather than learning how to just do it, retrain ourselves with lighter weights. Is it, me- is it mechanics of movement over technique that you see is the majority of the problem? Yeah, I, I think that is it. Um, people really want to focus on technique. I mean, the jujitsu world is full of this. How do I fix my triangle? How do I get a tighter rear naked choke? All these things. Um, and I had a client recently, a jujitsu player, uh, and she was complaining about some some pain with a certain submission. And I said, well, show me just this motion. Can you, can you just do this? Can you do this? Can you do these things? And I found that she had a, a lack of some glenohumeral range. That's basically in the joint. I'm like, well, you could drill this all you want, but unless we give you 10 more degrees of external rotation, you are not going to hit that dart. It's going to be harder for you. All right, well, how do I do that? Do I just drill it? No. Here's one shoulder mobility. Is that all? Yes. That's literally all. And you start to work it and you start to work range a little bit and suddenly they can do it. I have to tell that same person, like, what did you think put the move on? It wasn't telepathy. You weren't outside of your body controlling yourself like a friggin' video game. Your muscles, your joints had to do the move. And if you want to be able to do that move again and again with high levels of intensity and reliability, that stuff's got to be strong. That's not something you can wish for. That's not something you can drill. That isn't something you can take a supplement for. It just takes work. You got to put the work in. That, unfortunately, is probably the thing that slows us down most. People go like, uh, sounds like more than I want to do. It's like, okay. That's another way, place I don't judge folks. You're telling me how important that movement is by the amount of work you put into being able to restore that movement. If it's the most important thing, you're doing it. There's just no doubt about it. If it's not that important, link- put it off. Because I think it links into what we talked about, I think, in the first interview, where it was the these great videos you have where it was like, if your triangle sucks, 
it's not the technique it's because your hip like structure or your your flexibility and i was like whoa and i was like i want to see more in this series because that completely changes you as an athlete of it's not that your technique sucks it's how you're mm-hmm. applying it, how your your body tries to do that. Because I see these little pricks flying around the gym, somersaulting, flying. You know, I'm like, I try that, my body's going to go, no. no. <laughs> yeah. and because I know that I need to t- work my body to use energy effective and to move these sorts of things. And I, I, like that's why I think that is such a unique skill that you have of like, this is what you're trying to do, but this is what your body's trying to do. We need to mirror the two. How how do you start working, especially with older athletes? Because, I mean, I know I look, I know I look like a young whippersnapper. I would. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how do you start working with older athletes, especially? How do we start getting our body able to do these things? How do you get a young person to, you know, that is a bad thing. You're not able to do that. That you know, like you can only go to here here. How do we start getting them to understand this is what your body should do, stop channeling it elsewhere, and how do we get them back on track? You know, it's much easier with the older uh, athlete. Um, grapplers are, are a great example. Um, usually, if you're 40, 50, 60 years old and you're doing this grappling thing, you're, you're not doing it professionally. You're There's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there might be something wrong with you. <laughs> you like uh, pain way too much. Um, but those folks are out there, uh, I think it's going to sound judgy, but it's not, uh, for the right reasons. It's not about ego. It's about exercise. It's about camaraderie. It's about self-defense. It's about confidence. So I think those folks take to some of this advice a little bit more readily than young guys who – uh, are just full of piss and vinegar and, you know, have watched a couple of UFCs and want to be like just a bad dude. And that's a great goal. Awesome. Uh, if you want to just be hard to kill, yeah, we should all strive for that. Um, but those folks are the ones who are a little bit more resistant to like somebody like, well, who the hell are you? You're 155 pounds of nothing. It's like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, we can go spar and I'll show you. But I mean, <laughs> it doesn't, that doesn't matter. That's not how I, I don't, I don't place every bit of my self-worth on that. And, and younger folks may. And so that creates a bit of resistance. Um, you know, hell, I do want to be good. And there are days on the mat when I feel like I've just been put through it and ugh, everyone's had that, that time. Uh, but you go back because it's hard. You go back because it's, uh, uh, it's an accomplishment to stick those kinds of things out. Uh, but that's a trait of more maturity. Uh, so I like the older grappler come in for those things and the younger grapplers, I have to sort of prove my bona fides, which is fine. I, I don't really, you know, hold that against anybody. Um, but um, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at establishing that rapport early and then they kind of understand. It also helps that I've had a reputation to this point of someone who has an idea of what they're talking about. So I can sidestep some of the initial like silliness and give them a little snark and we just move on. <laughs> Because I've started noticing there's a lot more instructionals for like um, Stephen Keston, Rob Bernarke, you know, it's like the BJJ for the old fucks. It's like um, Bernardo Ferrara's got a great one on utilizing certain passes um, for the older athlete. And I was like, whoa, they're finally understanding. We, you know, older athletes can modify things to suit. You don't need to just give up. You can actually utilize pressure passing and these sorts of things and cooking your opponent up. Um, I mean, how do you, does it change as an older athlete? Do you have the same blood tests you recommend an older athlete, the same like the heart tests, the, you know, would you get all athletes to have 
even just people that come to you, the same annual testing, the same blood work, all the sorts of things you would normally incorporate, doesn't matter what age. Yeah, uh, having a, a solid baseline on these folks is standard level of care. Like you have to know sort of what you're dealing with on the baseline, not just from a movement perspective, but from a metabolic perspective, a disease process perspective. Uh, if someone's taking medicine uh, to overcome some kind of cardiovascular disease that, you know, hell, you don't think that impacts your grappling, but of course it does. If you're on a statin for a bunch of years, you're going to have pain. And you don't know why. Well, what does that mean? Well, that is one of the known consequences of this kind of cholesterol-lowering medicine. It's going to give you myo myalgia, mu muscle pain, aching. Oh, I didn't know that because I really didn't really start hurting like this or recovering as slowly until – like, yeah, I know. You should have been told that. And I'm sorry it's only now, but that is one possibility as to why your pain uh, mitigating – property of your brain is not as good. Um, you might have a lot of fear, okay? You someone with a heart condition, someone with, um, you know, elevated liver enzymes. Like, oh, what's going on in your nutrition here? Like, can we talk about that? Like, you know, I don't want to ever pry, but I certainly want to give people every, every nugget possible to start integrating into their normal day-to-day -day so that we can, can advance the ball downfield, just con continually improve, even if it's little small slivers at a time. And knowing a baseline is just the most important bit of that. We do our combines for different sports folks, but if you're just post-op or a regular person coming off the street with back pain, we still need to know, like, where are you coming from and where are we going? So how do we then take that, like you're saying, you know, how do we think about nutrition? How do we add in sleeping to our, like our overall plan? Because we talked last time about how everybody doesn't warm up. You'll never see anybody doing a cool down. You'll never see anybody taking 10 minutes after and, you know, just really because their body's warm and really pushing it and stretching it and getting it ready and better for the next session. You know, you hear that myth of you have 90 minutes after a workout to get your protein in. That's your protein absorption so thing. Silly. So silly. You know, so I've heard somebody say to me, oh, you'll have an hour after workout and that's it to recover. But if you're recovering yeah. after, you've already <laughs> let the horse out of the stalls. How do we, yeah. how do we, how do we approach this to eat, sleep, shit, be better as an athlete as as well as coming to see you and getting all the amazing stuff you do? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of weird information out there. Um, I can almost always tie um, absolutism like that um, to somebody who's just trying to make a dollar you know um uh if you it's got like a dvd you sell you're uh, gonna say like, dumb shit to sell your dvd <laughs> it's like 90 minutes your protein thing goes bye-bye you know it's like yeah 90 no, minutes and, i'm not doing it yeah that you know doesn't that sound kind of clickbaity like if you saw a video with a fun like you know with a chick's ass hanging out and in big yellow letters like the hack to recovers 91 minutes question mark everyone's clicking on that like cute girl oh there's something that sounds absolute to me it makes sense seems like it makes sense for some reason well basically if you don't have any understanding of sports nutrition or biochemistry you would go yeah sure but if you do have those two things you go like Ugh, come on moving on you don't even think about it like and that's what i hope to build is pe just informed people you know whether it's i mean i'm i'm from the nutrition side, the bar is so low from the people who come and see us um, that it's easy. You know, they're they're messing up the big things. They're uh, overeating. 
They're having, they're eating way too many inflammatory foods. They're not getting enough vegetables to counteract that. They're not, um, I don't know, they're, they're fasting way too long. They're cutting way too much weight, like whatever. But the, the problems are not minute problems for the people who come, who are walking the earth. The, the minute problems come from the very, very highest level folks. And, and that's great. But their priorities are on a different level. Gordon Ryan is not the same as you or I. His, his focus on his game is a different thing, and that's why he's what he is, period. I mean, that's thing is he probably doesn't have anything outside of jiu-jitsu. You know, he's coming home thinking of jiu-jitsu, going straight into jiu-jitsu. And I would love to be able to do that, but unfortunately I can't pay my bank with jiu-jitsu. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's a big important thing about, you know, whether you want to call it the aging grappler or just the enthusiast grappler. You know, I get – I'll keep, my, keep myself uh, in mind here. I get upset at myself with regard to like I think I should be better. I think I should be advancing faster. I think I should get that footlock quicker. I think I should be able to transition from here to here. And, you know, then I have to think, how much time have I worked on this? I've been training since 2010. It's a long time. but And I'm better than I was at, you know back then. But what, how much can I really focus my training right now? I run a, a, a semi-successful business. I have a team of people behind me that uh, depend on me to be here and do the right work. I have a family I love and I want to see. I've got my own little hobbies, and sometimes I need to just take a break. Um, so I'm okay. I've become okay with the amount I can do. Uh, you know, two or three days a week of training and twice a week in, in the gym. It's kind of what I can do, and I have to be okay with that. And I think if other folks can can be realistically uh, accepting of those barriers of real life, then it's hard to kind of be down on yourself. So what is it they say? Comparison is a thief of joy. You know, it's like – Oh, you love that one. I love that one. Because everybody comes in and goes, but I'm not as good as so-and-so. I'm not as good yep. as – like I, I remember bitching for a weekend about how a girl I followed on Instagram who'd started jiu-jitsu way before me had won gold at a competition. Now, I don't know mm-hmm. what her level of quality of matches was, how she, what she had done behind the scenes. But I can remember thinking how ridiculous it was that I had wasted a weekend of my life because <laughs> somebody had... And I can remember thinking, but I'm not, I'm not doing that yet. I haven't competed yet and beating myself up. Mm-hmm. And the whole point was, like, am I, could I beat myself that when I first started? Am I better than I was yesterday? Am I happier? Mm-hmm. Am I healthier? I remember, like, and I, I don't know, is it this masculinity thing of you always got to be better than the next person rather than the person in the mirror is the person you want to be better mm-hmm. than yesterday. And that is the thing. And I was like, I need to get back. And that's why I started the podcast, because speaking to guys like you who make me see the world in completely different ways and opening it up and going, holy hell. And that's why I can see why you've been such a success. Was there a point that you felt, well, you're doing this as a side hustle, oh shit, I don't want to leave the joy of a full-time employment and going into starting what is now your spark that's changing the world. What point did you think, do I do this or not? Did you struggle? What was it oh, taught yes. you? Oh, yes. No, I. it's um, the last piece of advice I needed to hear before I made that um took that risk was from a person who was renting a cubicle literally next door. He was in financial services. Uh, I still picture his face. Uh, Thank you, Mike. If you're listening, you're probably not. Um, He said to me, leap and the net shall appear. And I went, okay. Uh, 
I, I get what you're saying here. And my whole personality, uh, whether it's business, personal or otherwise, um, is I just prepare myself best I can for the worst case scenario. Um, you know, I, I think out, okay, what do I want this to be? All right. Now, what if it doesn't go good? Or right, what am I out? How much time, how much money, how much effort, whatever. Um, if, if I want to do, if I think something is worth doing, I'll do that math and then say, all right, well, if it doesn't work out and I'm okay with that, fine. But the rest is gravy. And so as long as I'm okay with the worst case, and that's what I saw. I said, right now I'm in a job that I feel like I'm um, pushing volume. I'm not being as helpful as I could be to these people who are coming in. And all they want is help. They don't want, they don't care about their insurance reimbursement. They don't, they, they want help. They're, they hurt. And I said, I can do better if I have it, if I run this more my way. And I've always already running my own practice right alongside my full-time job. But that was the moment where I started to say, no, no. I need to leap because these people are not going to get the help they need if I don't make that risk. And that was a, it was calculated and I was okay with the consequences. And ultimately the worst case didn't happen. You know, I, I make the worst case real hard when I'm thinking about me. Uh, what if no one showed up for a month, for six months? Could I, could I eat? Can my fam- can I support my family with the rest that I can do? Can I find another side gig? The answer was, yeah, I could. So I said, all right, let's give this a shot. And it never really, uh, I never, never looked back. I love it. I mean, I mean, I think it was Tim Ferriss was the first person who I ever seen the the idea of fear setting, where you write out the worst thing Ooh, possible, yeah. and then mm-hmm. you reverse engineer. Well, what was it that happened? I would do X, Y, Z. And then it loses its fear. I think it was like yeah. Cato in the Roman Empire. You know, he would eat the worst foods, eat, have the worst mm-hmm. clothes because he thought, well, this, I've already endured the worst. They, they can't hurt me. And you felt that fear and went anyway. I mean, you read your testimonials, you see the love that you have from your clients, the people you work mm-hmm. with. How did you build such a community? You know, because you've gone for all the way through people who have followed you along. What makes you so unique, do you think? What makes you so successful? <laughs> That's a funny question. Um, I don't think I'm real unique. I just, um, um, I'm passionate about this one thing, you know, human performance movement and, and lifting these barriers off of people so that they can pursue their whatever, you know, their soul filling thing. Um, I, I just don't, I, I see myself as a hospitality professional kind of first, if you're, if you really um, boil it down. Uh, I've often had conversations with friends uh, and and colleagues about sort of why why welcoming is um, a high priority when it comes to the way we write, the way I speak, the way our clinic is laid out. Like to be a place people enjoy just get walking into. Um, you, we, everyone here is greeted with a big smile, a handshake. You know, we, we know everyone's names, we know everyone's kids. We spend that time to invest in those relationships, and that has come back to us so many times over. I think that's what is the the root of our success is we focus on the relationship side. You know, physical therapy, sports medicine, strength and conditioning, athletic development, those are the things we do. But people don't really come for that. They come because they've developed trust and they know we're looking out for them. I mean, yes, they ultimately will need the care we're giving them, but um, I also try and make it so that they don't, that they don't have to rely on us. I mean, I, there isn't a day that doesn't go by that I say, I'm trying to make you independent of me. If you are dependent on us to continue to do the activities you like, we are not doing our job. That is backwards. But the system is set up the opposite. How many visits will their insurance pay for? 
40. Okay, we need to use those 40 visits in this plan of care. Well, but it's just an elbow. Yes, but get them four days a week for 10 weeks, and then we're good. That is the opposite of quality. That is the opposite of caring for that person's time because you're really only doing it to build, you know, their insurance. Um, it's just not, it's just not an integrity thing. And I think that's something that me and, and my team really value is uh, being high, high integrity, high value and high trust um, folks. That's, that's how we're, why we're gotten good. Cause I, I love that. It's like, it goes back to being the individual approach, not the cookie cutter. It goes back to being the, you know, like actually an individual level of care and like getting to know somebody's a person rather than a number or a business model. Mm-hmm. How do you keep on top of like the, because I mean, I know from just like my admin job in a university, like I work with PhD programs, run their programs, stuff, just the level of papers they need to read, all the white papers, all the thesis, all, you know, how do you keep on top of that? And how, you know, cause you, introduce like need uh, dry needly and you introduce like pre-season post-season competition stuff individual sport focus how on earth do you keep on top of everything that's going on and actually see and go okay i'm going to escalate my business and evolution by bringing in this you know helium modality or this recovery protocol how how do you manage it rather than just of we're doing well now how do you keep expanding it um, you know, I read a lot. Um, I, uh, technology is amazing. Uh, there are tools on here on the internet uh, that allow you to scour scholarly literature. Um, uh, one of the ones that I use is something called Pedro in your inbox. It's available to anybody. Uh, and the object is simple. You put in some key search terms. And so anytime any liter- literature, any study, any case study, any RCT comes up that has got the words shoulder orthopedics pain and sports in it or back sports knee sports knee pain but it goes to my inbox and so once a month i'll get 70 or 80 articles i'll pick through the ones that seem germane to our practice and i'll just read it takes me an hour it's no big deal but it allows me to just you know synthesize the very difficult to understand concepts in the most current way to the people who are dealing with these issues right now that's all people want. What's current? What's real? Oh, yes. I know we used to do bloodletting. Can we do that now? No, no, no. We know that's bad. How do we know that's bad? Well, we've studied that for a while. Pretty sure it's bad. But there are other things we do now. And here's what they are. And so, you know, you become a resource for those kinds of things because, you know, lay lay movers, lay people are not going to be scouring the literature. What are they going to do? They're going to type in shoulder pain jujitsu in Google. And the first things that are going to come up are the most highly paid sponsored things of people who are selling a DVD, selling a magazine, selling a workshop. Okay, great. And there's big money in that stuff. And hopefully if you're finding a workshop with a reputable professional, you're going to get some good information. But if you're just taking what is because it wound up on the top, you got to be better at vetting that information, um, understanding, well, who wrote that piece? Why did they write that piece? Who stands to gain from that piece? Is there a lot of marketing inside of there? And once you start to pick out those little things, you go, okay, I'll take this bit of information with a grain of salt. Probably has some real stuff in it. And at least in that article, there was a link to the actual like cited work. All right, what if I tried to read that? And many times people go like, oh, what's a p-value? Oh, man, this is really tough. Okay, but I can read that. And I can tell you what it means and we can go forward together and learn. And I can tell you how I sort of saw that literature and how it plays a role in your care. And then we can move on. 
And so I really work on keeping up with that. We have students really regularly, um, people who have gotten to know us from the BJJ physio side of things and want to be a, a kind of a grappler specific uh, therapist or that have just followed our our other, uh, our Spark Physiotherapy uh, Instagram or YouTube presence and, and just want to be an next-gen PT. They want to use all of their skills to get people all the way well. And, and when we have that, I, I can't bullshit a student. I have to be right. I have to be real. I have to be on point with my knowledge, with my explanations, and that hones us uh, at a much higher level. And it's, um, I, I do give it uh, uh, some credit for, for the reasons why we stay current and why we can continue to evolve. Oh, I love that. I love that you're always looking to take it to let. Le- I hate myself for saying this for leveling up. Um, <laughs> you know, another thing is like just now how many like you know the it's probably going to be controversial to say it, but during the Donald Trump presidency, you know how many people would say you know here's a, a bit of evidence that backs up what I'm saying, and it'd be a dot com or it'd be a, something they found on Google. Like they didn't even know how to gauge a source, how to read to understand the the sway or whatever you know and i think that's the thing is look at like education just now there's all these amazing tools to read it and people barely understand the basic they just follow their bias or i mean they don't look at it like that person's good at search engine optimization he knows how to go up the ranks in google rather than he knows the shit (laughs) and and that's what scares me is like you're doing these amazing things like this, but somebody, because they can have more keywords in, can go higher up a ranking, and somebody will pick them over you. You sure. actually care about them. You want to go and fix them. You want them to be healthy, independent. And if they want to come back, brilliant. If they want to come back to you every year, fantastic. You're actually healing people. You're not just making money off them. And that is why I think you're being, you're being such a success. I mean, you're still beating up Noel and all these kind of people. (laughs) But, you know, like, you have this amazing family. You have this amazing business. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're creating and always evolving. Is it difficult not to rest on your laurels? Or is this because it's such a passion in your life, you think, I need this? I'm going to get my wife on on next time to talk about (laughs) resting uh, because she wishes I would. Um, and it's just one of those things that, uh, it's partly inbred. Uh, I just, um, my brother is very similar. Um, you know, he does something extreme, so different from me. He's in finance and mark and mortgages and things, but man, we both just push. Uh, and partly it's because we saw people around us, um, who we respected, uh, who didn't give up a lot. Um, you know, they, they stood their ground, they had high integrity. And so we, we model that, um, uh, you know, uh, to to a good example of what you just referred to with like Donald Trump, and that's fine. A fine example about um, you know clickbaiting folks and triggering folks, and the ease at which people can be baited into finding information that isn't really useful for them, more so takes advantage of them. Is uh, I love going to conferences and um, walking the exhibition hall. Every time I go to a conference, every exhibition hall has got all these new toys, new tools. Um, and my favorite is to go to the people who have like the newest modality, the coolest laser, the different e-stim unit. I'm like, all right, let me have it. And, and I don't tell them what I do. I don't have, I'm never really marked up. No one ever knows who I am with these things anyway, so it's fine. And they they say I, the last one was most fun. It was a infrared sauna thing, a bag. You know, you plug it in. You've seen these things for cutting weight, for a lot of other reasons. And uh, the guy said, no, but I have literature. I said, okay, please. Um, he's, what's your email address? And it's like, your email address. And he said, I'm going to send you some articles. And I, when he said that, I went, oh, okay. 
Come on, bring them. And first three were YouTube videos. <laughs> like, okay. And it's the last YouTube, one was like, it must be true. Has to be true. And last one was like the website for the thing where it said all the benefits. And I'm like, well, I see what you're doing. And I'm sure this works on someone. I just want to know like the real deal. You're not going to sell this to me because I can already tell you I know that this is pretty useless for that function. But, uh, you know, if I can find a person it would work for, I'd be interested. But don't tell me nonsense and YouTube channel videos of a person saying, I loved how this worked for me and call that evidence. We have to be more scientifically literate as a global community. But there is a lot of money to be gained by keeping people scientifically illiterate because you can sell them bullshit over and over and over and over again and you will make a lot of money and they'll even think that they're doing the right thing so it's kind of okay it's just it isn't that the right thing for that person and it's ultimately gonna sully their opinion of experts and then you're you just sort of get caught in another cycle of like well who else can i look up well who else who else gives me free advice i can do something with and those people always have a bad experience and i just feel bad for that because when i when i sell affiliate products when i know like I only will promote things I know that people have produced that's awesome, you know, or I've interviewed the person and I understand the quality of the person before I even look at the quality of the product. And sure. that's what I found was people would say to me, but I've, you know, they say there's a double blind placebo test here that proves that this works. And I'll go, right. Oh, right. What does that mean? And they have no idea, but they know it sounds, it sounds scientific. It sounds yeah. smart. It sounds, and they'll go, and they go, well, do you understand what that means? How that works? And they go, uh, sort of. And you're like, but you're trusting it. You're putting your life, potentially your health online to use that based yep. on somebody's buzzwords. Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying when you think of it. It's rough. Is there a health protocol that we could start using at home? Or is there a self-analysis that we could do? <laughs> That, you know, like somebody just now of like, look at your sleep, do this, this, and this. Look at your health, hmm. nutrition, look at this. You know, do you have like a, a questionnaire that we could start looking at how shitty our current setup is and how we can improve <laughs> it? Is there ways we can think about, you know, three golden rules even that we could go, this will change your life no matter your current starting point? That's a good question. I, I'm probably not ready to answer that concisely right now however um we've not put together a um uh, a metric like that for ourselves um there is a ton in the way of very very fun technology uh from whoop bands to what you can get on your apple watch to basically all these wearables now um that at least establish a baseline i mean i've, I've talked about that a couple of times and how important it is that if you want to impact change if you want to do something um you got to know where you started and then you got to know where you're going um, you know, you might have great sleep. You don't know. I mean, if you're, if you're feeling rest, restless, or if you're feeling tired after having slept, maybe your sleep isn't good, but you know, that might not be the biggest part of the problem. It might be your nutrition. All right. Well, how about you just start writing it down? You know, when people have questions about these basic things that, um, I can't say I have, a, an established metric for, I say, well, let's just start by writing it down. Let's just meet. So between now, Monday and Friday, when I see you, you're going to, I should see four days of some kind of nutrition log. Just be honest. I'm not going to judge you, but let's see what we're beginning with. And then we can make little changes. But if you're just guessing or 
um, straight up lying to me about, you know, what you think I want to hear you say you ate. And we're going to get, we're not going to get very fast. We're not going to get where we're going very fast. It's going to be tough. Um, and that is something that does happen, but you know, that's why I like some of the wearable technology. Cause it's real, it's harder to cheat it. Although I have seen my own mom sit there like this because she felt like she wanted to get her steps for the day. And I'm like, all right, mom, <laughs> I don't know what to do. I've heard of people getting caught cheating because they were running at 3 a.m. when they were not with their partner. Because yeah. My dad's type 2 diabetic, and the latest annoyance was he had to go and get the the jabs in the belly. Sure. So he's now up to type 1, and he was making up his bloods because he felt like he didn't want to tell the doctor how bad they were for a while. And we were like, how yeah. idiotic they need to know. Yeah. And he was like, but his dad did that, and it was that kind of moment of. But the machine can go back and go. It was this, this, this. You know the dates and like. And I think that's the thing is why why lie, if it's bad, your your, you know your physiotherapist, your doctor, or not, they need to see the actual data to fix mm-hmm. you. There's no point telling them that everything's fine and then suddenly you need a leg cut off or you need sure. to surgery. And that's a scary thing is people are believing the hype rather than people like you that are actually fixing this yeah is that, is uh, that it's back to judgment and we talked about that um you know because unfortunately we don't get enough time with the caregivers who are assigned to look after the community health um it's easy to see you know a cbc and say oh my goodness your blood sugar is 500 what are you doing to yourself that's nasty like just envision that input to you. Whoa, hey, slow down. I mean, I'm, I didn't know. Uh, maybe I have a disease process. Well, I mean, of course, that person's not going to say so, but maybe that's the way that doctors say like, wow, um, I'm looking at your blood work here and it looks like your blood sugar is a lot higher than it should be. Can you tell me what you ate yesterday? That is not the conversation that will happen. It's what the conversation that should happen, but it won't happen because it requires follow-up. It requires attention. It requires a little bit more caring than is available in our system right now. And this is not just in the U.S. It's just greed, maybe, you know, people want to buy a lot of boats or something like that. So you got to see a lot of people. You got to, you know, play the game, uh, the insurance, you know, manipulation thing. And um, I've, I've said from the beginning, once once we um, shake the, the foundation of the status quo, which right now is heavy and big and has its own inertia, and start making people demand higher value care, it's going to be the way it is right now. But I actually think we're making a little bit of progress. You've already asked me enough of the questions that elude to the fact that people are looking for the right information. They're going to find it. It's just going to be in places that they they didn't really expect to find it. It's like you saying originally was interview the people that you're, you know, you can't always depending on who you're assigned to in a hospital or whatever, but interview the people that are there, you know, don't be scared of them because their job is there to help you no matter what point. And, you know, don't be scared of saying to them X, they shouldn't come back and go, Oh, if they do shout at you, go to somebody else, you know, like, what? I I, I do want to take this opportunity to, for one second, if I can, Um, the, uh, as men, it's probably worse. Um, but this has happened to women as well. Um, sometimes medical concerns can be of a uh, what you might consider an embarrassing nature. Um, things, rel- you know, I'm getting sick to my stomach. I've got diarrhea. I have trouble keeping food down. Like, for some reason, people hold these things. However, 
they're some of the most useful pieces of information. Mm -hmm. And if we withhold them from the professionals that are designed to keep us healthy, the consequences are, are can be grave. And so if, if I can give one piece of advice that people comes out of this is like, don't let these kinds of things, uh, especially embarrassment, um, stop you from bringing things like this up to your healthcare providers because you don't know what you'll be preventing down the road that will um, really change your life. And is that what you'd want people to take from this? To as a yes. sort of overall message to go and see their provider now, figure out where they are now, but where they where you want to go in your health. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's probably the most useful single bit of advice I can give anybody. Um, it's trying to create these self advocates, these educated consumers of physical medicine uh, and of just of just medicine. You know, um, your doc shouldn't be a stranger to you. I know that's hard to say. I know people, you know, they don't like seeing the doctor. They don't like hospitals or whatever. Um, but uh, it's how we uh, can collectively move the ball in public health. Uh, and that, you know, that sounds like a big lofty goal. But gra at a granular level, that's just the ability for every one person to use their body in the way that they would like to. And that should be something afforded to everybody. Well, until I can get you back on, because I've got a great idea for another one. But... Until then, how can we keep in touch? How can we find the, you know, the Sparks Physiotherapy, the like the BJJ Physio, your YouTube, all the amazing stuff you do? We're everywhere. Uh, I do my best. I know it's uh, is not as consistent as uh, I would like it, but uh, you know, I'm doing my best to stay active on all the channels. We have our BJJ Physio, uh, IG channel, YouTube channel, Facebook channel, as well as our Spark Physiotherapy channel on all of those um, platforms. Uh, we're currently uh, revamping our Spark Physiotherapy website, so we will be easier to find. We will be easier to get in contact with. There'll be a chat portal right on the website now. Uh, and so if you have questions that I can help you with uh, or my team can help you with, uh, I will be happy to do that. Eventually, we will add a virtual plan to that uh, platform as well. And so we won't only be limited to the folks that we can see here in Northern Virginia. Uh, if you've got pain questions, if you have issues, uh, I am as generous with my free time as I can be. My wife does not like it, but it is the reason why uh, I uh, our life is what it is right now. And uh, at least if I can help more folks, I'm going to continue to try and do that and uh, make myself more available. So I'm not hard to find and uh, I will answer the questions if I get the time. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.